On today's episode, we'll look at the worst week in Joe Biden's presidency. And of course, that's a tall feat since there's been nothing but blunders from the very beginning. But those are not my words. Those are the words of people from his own administration. And then we'll also look at those who are calling Joe Rogan a menace to public health and are trying to attack free speech in the process. And then we'll close out the show by looking at the Pope who is acting like a boss by coming against cancel culture on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. All right, today's show is going to be a lot of fun, but before we jump into it, i got to make sure that you know that today's episode is sponsored by our buddies over at Element Funding and the Kevin Blair team. You should go out and check them out right now because inflation is here to say it's at an all-time high, and uh, interest rates are going to go up. By about uh, the summer, we will see a significant increase in interest rates, and this is according to the Fed. So, uh, if you want to get ahead of that, you need to go over and check our friends out. You can get pre-qualified today absolutely for free, and you can see what their rates are. They love to answer that question, what's your rate, and they never hear it. So go ask them, call them today, go to their website, get their information, and figure out how you can pre-qualify for a home. All right, now before we jump into the show, i got to do one thing real quick. You see the sweet drip game, the gear that I've got on. This could be your Indie Thinker gear. Even the microphone's blocking the logo, but... Hopefully you know it by now, but nonetheless, you can go to our website, IndieThinker.org, and you can get some of this sweet clothing and help your A-game step up to the next level. Uh, but then also, too, you'll be helping support us as you do so. So please make sure to go to IndieThinker.org and check that out. And then also, too, while you're on the website, scroll down just a little bit and sign up for our weekly newsletter. We send that out every single Wednesday. That's our way of trying to give back to those of you who want to really take your next step in that Indie Thinker thinking journey. Uh, you want to be a critical thinker. You, you want to resource yourself and you want to become well-read, whatever the case may be. We, we give away free eBooks and free resources all the time uh, to those who are on that uh, weekly newsletter. So make sure to sign up for that today. All right. So as we start the show today, uh, there is one theme that's going to run throughout all of our headlines today. And that theme is Newspeak. Now, I do just have to stop and say, listen, I know that uh, dystopian classics like uh, 1984, which is where the term Newspeak comes from, and my favorite of the real two classics, which is um, which is Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, uh, I know that there's a lot of people who think that those things are overwrought in our present age. Perhaps people like Steven Pinker who have written books, uh, I think Better Angels is what it's called, but nonetheless, the, the treatise of the book is just simply that we're living in the greatest time in the history of the world, and we're just choosing not to recognize it. So I understand that there's, there's some truth to that, that there's a lot going on. However, there also is some truth to the reality that some of the dystopian dystopian uh, nuances and some of the dystopian ideas that are illustrated in books like George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World are happening right before our very eyes. So I think it would also be equally ignorant just to ignore the fact that we might see things like Newspeak happening. So what is Newspeak for those who don't know? So we'll start with Aldous Huxley. He said something, and I don't think he originally is the one that coined this, this quote, but 
but he said it, um, and the first time I heard it, he was the one that was saying it. And he said this, that you can do a lot with bayonets, but you can't sit on them. And so the idea is just simply this, is that a bayonet can control somebody, but it can only control somebody for so long because people are also creatures of comfort. And that's where Brave New World comes in, is, is that it suggests that people are such creatures of pleasure and such creatures of distraction that they have an infinite appetite for distractions that you won't have to get this totalitarian regime like in 1984 to oppress people that they will give in to their oppression all too easily if there's enough incentive for them. Um, okay, so so the idea is that you need to develop a strategy that helps control people, helps brainwash people that they enjoy, that they like, so that they will accept it because they will eventually resist bayonets and they'll rebel against bayonets and they need something that they can embrace a little bit more, something that will provide them comfort as well. And this is where... George Orwell's 1984 idea of newspeak comes in. And so newspeak is just simply this. It's a politically approved version of English used to control people. So it's a twist of phrase. It's a contortion of language. It's a way in which language is used to deceive people. So you could say one word and most people could recognize that word and know what that word typically means. But when you use it, you're using it for a vastly different purpose. And so we're going to see this in our stories today, but perhaps one of the ways this is taking place very often in our culture today is with otherizing people. And so so freedom for some people means majoritarianism and what I believe should happen being crammed down the throats of other people and de demonizing all others and otherizing people with terms like extremist. Now, I have to be careful there, right? Because extremism exists. It's really obvious that it does. Like most times in our history, extremism is very rare. In our present age, people are twisting the definition of these things. Uh, and even though the term equality is not used as much as the term equity is starting to be used, all of this is an attempt to obscure the truth because equity is typically used to create equal outcomes rather than equality, which is equal opportunity. Well, the difference here is that you have to have some mechanism to force equal outcomes. And so this is why people who believe in big government will talk about equity and use that term. Because what they actually intend to do is to secure power for themselves that will cram down their agenda uh, on people that they wish to cram it down upon, rather than to give people equal opportunity to perform. And just to drill down on that a little bit further, the reality is, is that equality is the ideal thing here because not everybody is created the same. Everybody's created in the image of God, according to the Christian, but that doesn't mean that we all have the same skill sets or the same abilities. And so the reality is, is that if you want equal outcomes, well, then you're having to subvert the fact that some people are better at some things than other things. And you're trying to force an outcome to come that is unnatural. All of that, suffice to say, is, is that there is, the, there is a way that we can manipulate people and try to control them simply by the terminology that we use. And we will see that today throughout the headlines that we are going to go through. So let's jump into our headlines right now.
racism is becoming one of the most misused terms in our age. And if you care about racism, if you care about real, true, blue instances of people being oppressed simply by based upon the color of their skin, well, then I think we can and must agree that if we're misusing and abusing the term racism, then what we're doing actually is a disservice to actual instances of racism. Now, this is especially true in the Christian church. We have an obligation to the actual definition of racism, to believe that somebody is superior or inferior by their race or by their skin color. So we have an obligation to resist that, but we do not have an obligation when somebody comes along and tries to pose racism as actually something else, as, a, as another agenda item, but then wants to use the force of racism as a club to beat you over the head to make you believe it. And this is where we find ourselves in the worst week in Biden's presidency. So let's take a look at that. And this is from Yahoo Finance. The headline reads, This Week in Bidenomics Flameout. So what this article is, is essentially just kind of a look at what happened in this one week. And so here's kind of an itemized list of pr President Biden's worst week. Inflation hit 7%, the highest level since 1982. So that's the highest level in 40 years, guys. Retail sales fell by the most in 10 months. So retail sales are not compensating for it. The Supreme Court blocked Biden's vaccine mandate for most employers. Stocks are starting, in, starting 22 in a slump as investors fret about inflation and rising interest rates. Hospitals are filling with COVID patients once again, and Americans are in the foulest mood since Biden took office in last January. So that article that I read to you, if it wasn't bad enough, Biden keeps on doubling down on dumb and fighting his own party. So in the midst of, of everything that's going on that I just read, he is not getting consent with his Build Back Better agenda in his own party. And then he is also continually speaking about voting rights bills um, and voting rights you know, re reform that is really unpopular even in his own party. So the article goes on to even say this. A handful of senators from his own party quickly shot down the idea, the idea they're speaking about here, is trying to destroy the filibuster and continuing to call that some racist relic. Um, but they're quickly shooting down that idea as if the White House never thought to check with them beforehand. The voting bill appears to have no chance. So Biden spent scarce political capital on a measure his own brain trust should have known was doomed to fail. The Democratic Party is now as inept as the GOP is corrupt. Well, as you can tell, not very impartial there, um, because if you don't think that the Democratic Party is also corrupt, well, then I don't know where you've been for the last forever. Because if there's one thing we should agree across political party lines is that politicians are corrupt. And this is happening right in front of our face with this voting rights bill. Biden is clearly trying to drum up old emotional feelings um, uh, from our past to try to manipulate people in the present. Now, I'm going to I'm going to try to play it safe here and I'm just going to say this. The only reason that Biden wants to destroy the filibuster is because he is having no luck with any of the things that he's trying to implement. And he figures rather than go through the process of trying to figure out something that will pass in the House and the Senate, I'm just going to just destroy it all so that I can make it happen, so that I can say I did something. Because the man has blundered everything that he's tried to do since the very beginning. And he's desperate for a win because he is now in the 33% in terms of his approval rating, lower than Donald Trump ever 
God. And in the midst of that, the White House is, is desperately floundering to try to, to defend all of the whiffs that they have in coming to the plate. And so here is Kamala Harris, just being the best politician that you could possibly imagine and defending what Biden is doing. At what point does the administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working. We're going to change strategies. Now I have to stop it there already. At what point do they say this isn't working? Well, they never say that because to admit that what they're doing isn't working is to admit defeat and to admit that they may actually be wrong. Now, this is where I just have to say, guys, like, you know this. If, if any of our politicians actually got hired one day on a job in a Fortune 500 company and they acted the way they do in terms of blaming everybody else for the silly and dumb things that they do or constantly trying to manipulate their way into changing things by saying, you know what? Hey, if you don't like what I'm doing, if you don't like the direction of the company, then I just really, really want to encourage you, all of my employees, I know that there are going to be questions about the direction I'm leading this company, but I have to tell you, if you disagree with that, all of my employees, it is because you're all racist. Like, you would never, you would be fired the next day if you were the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and you acted like any of our politicians do. Uh, but nonetheless, they can't admit that they're wrong. And we're going to hear Kamala show you that she has no ability, no matter how ridiculous she sounds in her defense, trying to admit that what they're doing is wrong. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree. I'm going to try this one out. Carpe diem. We must seize the day because there are days that must be seized. And when we seize those days, those days will be seized because seizing the day is a day that we must seize, and every day is a day that we must seize. Uh, come on, man. If that didn't hit you right here, I don't know what's wrong with you. You must just not have a heart. Okay, so the reason that she's having such a hard time trying to defend all of the whiffs that are coming out of her administration is because it's indefensible, because they're doing things that are absolutely ridiculous. And the chief among them is continuing to castigate people as racist if they disagree with Biden and to continue to promote voting rights bills that ultimately really are just an attempt to try to destroy the filibuster and rejigger the government. How else do you explain their talking points? Here's Biden once again speaking about why he thinks the voting rights bill disenfranchises black people. How do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide, to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. Longer lines at the polls, lines that can last for hours. You've seen it with your own eyes. People get tired, they get hungry. When the Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty, the new Georgia law actually makes it illegal. Think of this. I mean, it's 2020, and now 22, going into that election, it makes it illegal to bring your neighbors 
your fellow voters food or water while they wait in line to vote. What in the hell heck are we talking about? Okay, so Biden mentions two things there. Both of them are incredibly dishonest. First of all, to identify yourself at a polling polling place, and I've read through the Georgia bill, there are multiple ways for an individual to identify themselves. It doesn't even have to be a driver's license. It can be, in some places, it can be an electric bill for crying out loud to prove that you actually are who you say you are. Now, if that is racist, then you don't know what racism is, okay? And then the second thing is this, is that you can't eat and drink in line or let me double back. You cannot be given food and water in line. Now, he thinks this is such a stellar point that he has to cuss about it. And then all of the seals behind him laugh. Um, this is the most ridiculous part of all of this. First of all, there's nothing that states that you can't bring your own food and water. What's wrong with you bringing your own food and water if you're so peckish that you need a snack while you're standing for an hour and a half in line when you go to vote? But the but that that law is really just an attempt to do this, and Biden knows it, but he's being dishonest. It's merely an attempt to keep people who have vote for Biden shirts uh, and who are offering water and food to people while they're voting in line. It's it's to keep them from doing that. It's called electioneering. It, it's it's why you can't have a sign in your face with a person trying to say vote for Joe Biden while you're waiting to vote. It's because it's illegal, and it should be illegal. So bring your own darn water and bring your own snack if you desperately need one while you're standing in line to vote. There's nothing racist about it. What this really is is an attempt to try to totally reshape the Senate by destroying the filibuster. The filibuster, of course, is the thing that people will use who are in the minority to try to stop the majority from overrunning them. And of course that's not racist. What this really is all about is that Biden isn't getting his way and so he's wanting to rig the game so that he can get his way. So he wants to destroy the filibuster. This is what this was really all about. But I am not the one who has a problem with destroying the filibuster as, as much as other people in the Senate, including Biden when he was a senator. So you can hear from the horse's mouth. Make no mistake. This nuclear option is ultimately an example of the arrogance of power. It is a fundamental power grab by the majority party. Ending the filibuster is a very dangerous thing to do because it's been used by progressives the whole, our whole time to make sure that we did not get rolled over. And then moreover. If Biden really thought this was racist, if Biden really thought that the filibuster was such a Jim Crow relic, it should never be used, then why did his party just use it to make sure that a sanction that uh, I believe Ted Cruz, but the Republicans brought up against Russia and the Nord Stream pipeline uh, was was quashed and the Democrats used the filibuster in order to do it? Well, the truth that we all know is just simply this, that the filibuster being destroyed is just Biden's way of trying to curry some favor in the midst of him being an abysmal failure. He does not seem to have a bottom yet, and that's really what's at play. Let's go to the second headline. According to Rolling Stone, there are doctors who believe that Joe Rogan is a menace to public health, and Spotify must put an end to his COVID lies on the Joe Rogan experience. I want to dig into this article a little bit because it's just absolutely classic. And I, and I want to show you why these people who say they are not against free speech are absolutely against free speech. So it goes on to say this. As an infectious disease epidemiologist and research fellow at Boston Children's Hospital who debunks health misinformation on Instagram, which 
how great of a job is is that? Um, where she has more than 380,000 followers, Jessica Rivera regularly receives tips from her followers about viral content to debunk. A few weeks ago, her followers started sending her a link to an episode of The Joe Rogan Experience, the most popular podcast in the world. The episode was an interview with Dr. Robert Malone, a virologist who touts himself as one of the architects of mRNA technology. So the article goes on to say Rivera is one of 270 doctors, physicians, and science educators who signed an open letter calling on Spotify, which obtained exclusive streaming rights to the Joe Rogan experience and a reported $100 million deal to take action against misinformation on the platform, such as contained in the interview with Malone. One more quote here, because I think this paints a picture. People who don't have the scientific or medical background to recognize the things he says are not true and are unable to distinguish fact from fiction are going to believe what Malone is saying. And this is the biggest podcast in in the world and that's terrifying now perhaps this is really what we're really after is that it's terrifying that you don't have the control over what people say now you may say well read this is a very serious issue and people are dying I understood 100 absolutely and i am sympathetic to the fact that covid is real and that it causes um death and and that it is a serious issue that we all must uh that we all must consider but the point that this this petitioner is trying to make is that because Joe Rogan is influential, we must do something about that. Now, that is also equally a troubling thing because here's why. It's not based on reality. People don't listen to Joe Rogan and then get all of their COVID information from Joe Rogan and then make decisions simply based upon what Joe Rogan says. And even if they do, guess what? It's a free country. Now, I know we've, we've gone so far away from the idea of a free country that to even suggest that is just absolutely insane to people. How could we possibly let people say things that we disagree with? We, can, we can't allow that to happen. What if it costs lives, which is always the ploy that is used for people who are totalitarian-minded? So, you can think he's a menace all day long. Joe Rogan has the right to do whatever he wants to on his podcast. And you know what? If you don't like it, don't listen. The truth is, and we all know this, is that ignorant people exist. And yeah, they'll listen to Joe Rogan and they might believe what he has to say. That's on them. That's called individual responsibility. We've moved so far away from this idea that now, instead of in, insisting that people become informed, we think it's our job to protect people from information. Now, here's one of the really big issues with this. And so I don't really know this guy. I've seen his clips a couple of times. Facebook has shown it to me um, just here and there as I've been scrolling. But Rational National, this guy came on and totally mischaracterized everything that Joe Rogan said. And so I just want to show you this. Because if we get in the habit of trying to censor people, this this is going to be the, the consequence of that. So let's roll that. For young boys in particular, there's an adverse risk associated with the vaccine. It's like yes. a two to four fold increase in the instances of myocarditis. Yes, but you know what? Hospitalization the, you know that there's COVID. an increased risk of myocarditis in, among that age cohort from getting COVID as well, which exceeds the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. I don't think that's true. I don't think it it's is. true. I don't, no, no, no. I don't think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis from people catching COVID that are young versus increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. No, there is. There's both. Well, let's look that up because I don't think that's true. <laughs> There's myocarditis more common after COVID nineteen infection than vaccination. But is this with children? Uh, yeah, we're talking about young people, men and boys aged under thirty. After this, is what it says here. With with children is the issue. Well, no, we were talking about fifteen year olds. Well, we're talking about young children. Male so child. yes, twelve to seventeen. 
12 to 72, more likely to develop myocarditis within three months of catching COVID at a rate of 450 cases per million infection. This compares to 67 cases of myocarditis per million at the same time following their second dose of Pfizer. Yeah, so you're about eight times likely to get myocarditis from getting COVID than from getting the vaccine. That's interesting. Now, that, that is said, not what I've read before, but also it's like... When, even when we're reading these things, it's like, what are we getting this from? Is this from well, the VAERS report? But even from the VAERS reports, when they report this stuff, it's like the amount of people that report, the um, like it's the under-reporting. Okay, so what you can tell from that clip is that there's a little back and forth between Joe Rogan and his guest about whether or not myocarditis is a big deal with kids who are have COVID or kids who have been vaccinated, and according to this guy, that there is a higher chance of myocarditis in kids who get COVID than there are in those who get vaccinated. So Joe is actually technically right about what he says in terms of myocarditis being an issue with kids getting vaccinated. Uh, so he's not wrong about that. And the other guy is not wrong about suggesting that there is a bigger issue um, in terms of the, the data, in terms of kids who get COVID. Okay. So that's the conversation that they're having right there. And then this is going to be illustrated by our buddy, the Rational National. Just quickly there in the last part, he mentions VAERS. I've discussed this a number of times. In fact, I'll just show you right now, just really quickly. You cannot trust the VAERS data. You can self-report to VAERS. Okay. So already he's mischaracterizing the argument. We'll go, I want to finish the rest of that, but already we have to stop. The, he is saying, the Rational National guy is saying, you cannot trust the VAERS uh, report because it is a, a website where people go to report things about vaccinations that they have uh, received. And this is a self-reporting thing. Um, so it's all up to the people to go and do it. And so he's saying it can't be trusted. This is exactly what Joe Rogan is saying, is he's saying we have some things from the VAERS report that uh, that have been self-reported in the end. It gives us some information, some things that we can derive, but there is under-reporting because people have to report themselves. Now, the Rational National guy is going to dig into this in just a second, so I want you to hear that. To the point where somebody in 2005 claimed that a vaccine for the flu turned them into the Hulk. And that report was accepted and entered into the database. And again, this is well before the most recent vaccines. This is long before any of that. This was to simply show that the VAERS data is not reliable. Well, I hate to interrupt this guy so much, but I do have to stop right there and just say, um, yeah, so this was entered into the report. And this was back in 2005. And yes, there are people who enter in false reports, but it doesn't mean it's altogether untrustworthy. So you can't make that illogical leap. So anyway, he'll get to the point because that's really what, what we're after. So if Rogan is relying on that for reports of myocarditis in the vaccine, it's the issue there is over-reporting, not under-reporting, again, because anybody can report to it. This is a self-attestation, the VAERS report, which again is a website where you can go and you can, uh, you can attest and submit responses to things about vaccines. It is clear that it is only logical to assume that there is under-reporting here because people must do it of their own free will. There is clearly not going to be an issue with over-reporting. There is going to be under-reporting. So back to the Joe Rogan thing. All Joe is saying is, is that there has been evidence of myocarditis in kids who take the vaccine. 
that is going to be a number that is typically lower simply because that number comes from people who get the vaccine and then report those things rather than they're doing a specific study to try to make sure they understand every single person who actually had an adverse reaction to the vaccine. So that's all that Joe is saying. So what Joe is saying is absolutely right. But what this guy who is listening to Joe Rogan is doing is absolutely mischaracterizing what he says, either because he's too ignorant to understand it or because he's willfully doing it. Nonetheless, here's the point is that we don't need free speech censors. We don't need 270 doctors to come alongside of this individual and try to shut Joe Rogan down or to try to make sure that they are controlling what he says. Orwell can help us out here again with this because in his idea of Newspeak, he speaks about thought crimes. And thought crimes are simply a, a punishment for those who wish to issue out ideas of nonconformity. So here we have... What's happening with Joe Rogan? If you don't toe the line, if you don't say what we like, we're going to punish you for your thought crimes, for disagreeing with us, because we can't have anybody who disagrees with the experts. All right, so we'll talk about experts on our third headline. From Time, Olivia Waxman writing in the headline is, a new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the Civil War. So, of course, they're talking about Reconstruction. So does it come as a surprise to anybody that they're not doing a great job of teaching about slavery and now they're not doing a good job of teaching about Reconstruction? Um, so the point is, is the public school system isn't doing a great job of very much. I'm not sure if you've looked at the numbers for reading and other things in your area, but really they're after something else here, as you might imagine, than just to point out the fact that the public school is failing people and that actually school choice, which by the way, you need to check the episode this Sunday about that very important life-changing policy for young people. But Nonetheless, they're never going to advocate for school choice, but this is actually what they're after. So the article goes on and says, in the aftermath of the insurrection a year ago at the U.S. Capitol, many leading historians drew parallels between the violence and the Reconstruction era. Okay, so if it wasn't enough that what happened on the Capitol was the worst thing since 9-11, it was the worst thing since Pearl Harbor, it was the worst thing since the Civil War, it was the worst thing than the worst thing that you could possibly imagine to try to compare it to. So the whole point here is this, is that, yes, they're trying to falsely associate what took place on January 6th, which was bad, which was evil, which was a bunch of buffoons doing a bunch of stupid stuff that amounted in millions of dollars of damage, but nowhere near the billions of dollars of damage that was done over the summer of 2020 with the BLM riots. They bring this up here, and the reason they do so is, yes, to just to talk about January 6th. They just love talking about January 6th, those on the left, but also to... I bring this article up because of that that line that you could have missed it uh, if you weren't paying attention. At the very beginning, it says, many leading historians drew parallels between the violence of January 6th and the Reconstruction era. Now, okay, the reason they do not name those leading historians is because very likely they don't exist. The reason they don't name them is because they're probably not leading historians because no historian worth their salt is looking for opportunities to try to associate what took place on January 6th with actually a real moment that has nothing to do with January 6th called Reconstruction. So the point is, is, is this appeal to experts is something that I want us all to be careful of and we need to be careful of because people in the mainstream media, they're basically 
the the equivalent of gender studies students in their undergraduate program and the papers that you might find in in those in those classrooms they they cite sources and very often will not tell you where the sources come from and if they do the people that they say are leading historians aren't even leading historians because again no leading historian is actually wasting their time with nonsense uh, foolish, false equivalencies of January 6th and Reconstruction era. So the point is, is this this is another Orwellian newspeak. And this is happening right now in a much more broader context with the CDC. Because right now, the CDC is having a little bit of a PR problem. So check this headline. This is from the New York Times. The CDC's new challenge, grappling with imperfect science. Okay, so here's what the CDC is really grappling with. The CDC is grappling with the fact that they just cut the quarantine time from five, from 10 days to five days. And then they also did one other thing. They just recently released the thing that we've known forever, which is that cloth masks are nowhere near as effective as K and M95 masks or even surgical masks, but that there has to be a tight seal around your whole mouth and nose and that yet the fabric also has to be breathable enough for that tight seal not to suffocate you. So the CDC just recently released that. And of course, those who just love COVID hysteria, those who lack a belief in the sovereignty of God, therefore, sorry, I had to throw that in there, lack a belief in the sovereignty of God, had to have some type of control. So they had to believe that that mask that they were clinging to that wasn't really that effective and that that vaccine that they were clinging to that also wasn't as effective as they thought it was going to be in terms of them not getting COVID. Uh, they cannot bear to admit that fact. And so the CDC is causing some people to have a little bit of some existential crisis right now. And, and, we're, and we're coming to terms with this reality is we're coming to terms with the fact that there is no such thing as the science. Science exists, yes, but the science is what bureaucrats and politicians do to try to force consensus. But scientists will tell you that science very often can lead us to satisfying answers based upon facts, but very often it also leads us to as close to an understanding of things as we can get, but then there's also much room in the midst of that for discussion and even disagreement. And in fact, that is what makes science great because you don't have to force yourself to believe something. You just take you hypothetically where the evidence leads you. But very often, even that's not the case because humans are still involved in the science. And so the point is, is that the CDC and everybody else is having to come to terms with the reality that the reason that we went from one mask to three masks and one COVID vaccine to multiple COVID vaccines and the COVID vaccine you have now, it will definitely help protect you, but it may not keep you from getting Omicron. So the, the point is, is this, is that the cry for expert is merely an attempt to sh very often to shut down speech and to keep people from thinking for themselves. Like, listen, I'm not an expert mechanic, but I know how to change my oil. I can rotate my tires. I can change my brake pads. I can check my fluids. I can do all of that. And I can even have a conversation with a mechanic. And, and ask him things and maybe even have some insight into my own car that, that this mechanic doesn't have because I have some knowledge of, of cars. But he doesn't have the right to come and tell me, you don't know anything about cars. Don't talk to me. Uh, so now, in most cases, he's, he's right. But, but, but that's not necessarily true in my case. And in, and in, this, and in this instance, 
the cry to shut down people with with the label of expert is just simply a logical fallacy. It's appeal to expertise. This is what you know people when they get get into debates online when they say, "Well, I took a community college course and I've seen a Wikipedia article, so now I'm an expert." This is a logical fallacy to appeal to expert expertise. We're not appealing to where you went to college or where your degree is from. We're appealing to the facts of the statement. But we're getting further and further away from that because there are people who would love to obscure facts with with appeals to expertise. Like, for instance, when back in June and January or sorry, June and July, Biden was was telling us that inflation, you know, the experts are telling us that it's just going to it's going to be around just temporarily. This is not going to stick around. Here's him saying that some folks have raised worries that this could be a sign of persistent inflation. But that's not our view. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. Well, now here we are, and unfortunately, months later, inflation is higher than it's ever been since 1982. We're at 7%, and it's probably going to get higher before we're even done. Now, here's another clip where we're ex uh, appealing to expertise. This is Dana White uh, speaking about the whole Joe Rogan thing that I kind of illustrated with these doctors and them trying to censor him on Spotify. So here, here's, here's a little altercation where, yet again, we have this appeal to expertise. I was wondering what your thoughts were with the 200-plus doctors trying to put pressure on Spotify saying that Joe's a menace to... Are they really? Yeah. Well, how about this? Ever since I came out and said what I did... It's almost impossible now to get monoclonal antibodies. They're like, they're, 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 they're making it so you can't get them. You know, medicine that absolutely works, they're keeping from us. I don't want to get too political and start getting into all this. Ivermectin and, and monoclonal antibodies have been around for a long time. Now all of a sudden you can't, you can't dig them up to save your life. The doctors won't give them to you experimental drugs or things that you said, this stuff's been around. I mean, the guy, the Ivermectin, the guy, You're a doctor? Won, the guy won the Nobel Peace Prize. You're a doctor? Huh? You're a doctor? I'm no, sick. but there's plenty See? of doctors there you go. that do, uh, here he comes. <laughs> I just asked a question. Are you a doctor? No, but I, but I, but I took them and they both work for me. So why shouldn't I be able to take them again or other people? I won't answer. No, no, come on. Dive in. We, we do have a well, brain why shouldn't to we be able to take, take them, own right? You, you want to know what's scary? I bet I could get some pain pills quicker than I could get monoclonal antibodies. No, not maybe. That's a fact. That's a fact. They can hand out pain pills like, the, like they're Tic Tac. No, I just love that. Are you, an, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? Hmm, are you a doctor? I, I hate questions where we already know the answer to the questions. And of course, he's just asking that question because he's smugly trying to shut down conversation. And, he, and, and Dana White brings up a great point. Like, which science are we talking about? Which medical science are we talking about? Are we talking about the tobacco, you know, lobby, medical industry? You know, smoking doesn't cause cancer. It's not harmful to your health until we figure out, uh, yeah, it absolutely is. You know, the science, if we're not careful, is a way to shut down conversation. And Orwell had a word for this. He called it duck speak. And duck speak is just where you go quack, 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 and you repeat the experts or you repeat facts, but you actually do so without thinking. That's what duck speak actually is. And this is what we're doing when we 
just merely appeal to the experts, the Dr. Fauci's of the world, and we say, we don't have to think for ourselves. He's already done our thinking for us. Well, of course, that's way easier. This is why Duck Speak exists. But the truth is, is that no, you don't need to become an expert on everything. And no, you don't need to be cynical and suspect about every single person. But we have to admit, right? Just quoting the experts is way easier for us than actually thinking for ourselves. That's why we do it. We appeal to expertise so that we don't have to actually do any of the heavy lifting of reading and researching and, and understanding what we actually think about this thing. All right, so needless to say, if we continue down this road, we'll continue to shut down conversation rather than open up dialogue channels. But that's what it seems is, is what these guys want to do as far as Joe Rogan is concerned. They want to be the ones to censor speech so that he can't give out misinformation. And well, of course, we all know this. There is no limiting principle here. It may start with Joe Rogan, but what happens when it comes to you? And another expert says, well, these experts aren't experts. They don't know what they're talking about. And then we, we constantly have this back and forth about who has the right to shut down free speech. And so the, the real answer is, as much as we don't like it, is nobody. Nobody has the right to shut down free speech by shutting it, trying to shut it down with appeal to expertise. All right, let's end the show the way we end all of our shows here at IndieThinker with some Christian news in our last segment, Christianity Not Today. Okay, in Christianity Not Today, as you can tell by the tag that you just saw, I like to kind of poke fun at things that are going on in the Christian world because as we continue to move further to the left and as we continue to allow leftist ideology to crop into our theology, we're finding ourselves further away from actual gospel truth, and we're, we're, just, um, we're just pranking ourselves. But today, I've got a really inspiring story. I just had Doug Beaumont on the show, and Doug was a very prominent evangelical voice who studied under Norman Geisler, who was a prominent theologian, wrote multiple, multiple, wrote multiple, multiple books. And uh, Doug started doing some research and then eventually became a Catholic just based upon um, based upon what he thought would be the best way to express his Christian faith. Um, and, and so uh, today our news comes from the Catholic world with the Pope. So check this out. Come ho avuto modo di affermare in altre occasioni, ritengo che si tratti di una forma di colonizzazione ideologica che non lascia spazio alla libertà di espressione e che oggi assume sempre più la forma di quella cancel culture I love it. The Pope is actually a boss. He understands that the wokeism that is infecting the minds of people, obviously in his circles, but also in the American West, undoubtedly, is, is a problem. Now, here's some of the things that he says. I love this dude already. So he says, cancel culture is a form of ideological colonization. I just love that term, first of all, because now he's using the terms that the woke uses against the woke, calling it ideological colonization. And ultimately what he means there is, is it's, you just put echo chamber in, the, in that place. So basically we're trying to get people to think exactly the same. That's what ideological colonization is. That's what cancel culture does. We get rid of everybody who's a dissenter and thinks differently than us. And, under, and understandably, this is an issue. This is an issue for thinking. This is an issue for the faith. And he says this, all of this is done under the guise of defending diversity, and it ends up canceling all senses of identity. 
boy, he couldn't be more right about this. That in their attempt to try to create, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, actually the one thing that they're no longer doing is, is the woke is, are no longer allowing and making room for ideological diversity or intellectual diversity. This couldn't be more true on college campuses than, than almost any other institution, especially in America today. So, so now we've got these, these safe spaces on college campuses and even these places where, where only minority students are allowed to go because they, they want to have a safe space away from the threat of, I guess, other races that they deem um, unlawful in their safe spaces. And so very often, too, you can see this in just the demographic makeup of professors at the academy. So it, the last statistic on this, and this is according to Pew Research, 66% of professors claimed that they were liberal. And I bet you cannot guess how many claimed that they were conservative. 3%. 3%. So what makes up for the other number there? Well, I bet you you wouldn't assume that that is radical leftist, cultural Marxist professors trying to indoctrinate students into this way of thinking. Because, of course, that's what it is. They're not uh, middle-of-the-road Republicans. Uh, no. So the, the Academy is given over to leftism almost entirely. Uh, so it's no longer a place of ideological uh, diversity. It's no longer a place where different ideas are accepted. In fact, you can get fired if you don't toe the line. So the Pope comes up against this in just this most beautiful way. It absolutely makes him my hero of the day uh, because of the way that he comes against cancel culture. And boy, oh, for more Christians who have the kind of confidence to speak against these cultural institutions that come with the veneer and, and come with the superficial layer of helping people and being empathetic, but ultimately down deep inside, they are corrupt to the core. So I think we have an obligation as Christians to try to find those kind of things wherever they crop up and to get rid of them as quickly as we possibly can. And we've already got a leader in the Christian world showing us the way. Oh, for more evangelical, more Protestant pastors with the spine that this, that this Pope has. To, to really stand up against cultural institutions that are harming and hurting fellow Christians, all being done so in the name of diversity. And this is why most pastors will not speak against it, because one of the idols of the, of the modern-day church is diversity, because now we've got gospel-centered and diverse, as, as though those two things were on the same, the same plane of existence, that speech, speaking the gospel truth from the Bible was the same thing as making sure the demographic makeup church, the makeup of your church was diverse enough. Well, we want a church that looks like heaven, and heaven's going to be diverse. Like, obviously, yes, but what if the congregation that you pastor is 99% white because the city that you live in is 99% white? You can't really have diversity in a congregation like that as much as you may want to skinny jeans it up and make that congregation diverse. No, the truth is, is that what we need to do is in the process of being gospel-centered and gospel truth advocates, we will create, we will truly create, and I know people don't believe this even anymore, we will create a diverse church. And most importantly, we'll have the ideological diversity that is necessary because the Bible covers all sorts of truth because all truth is God's truth. It's just time we as Christians started standing up for it and speaking about it. Well, that said, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time.
You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.